Servus und herzlich willkommen to another episode of the Bavarian Podcast Works flagship show. I will be joined today. I'm Schnitzel, by the way, as you guys hopefully recognized uh, by my voice. I uh, will be joined today by BFW's resident pessimist, or how he'd like to coin himself as a realist. Uh, I need no name. Welcome to the pod. How are you doing today? And it's nice to have you again. Yeah, um, I'm doing mostly okay, which, well, it's more than you can say about what our pursuit of Harry Kane, which is, which seems to have hit a roadblock, but we're going to talk about that. The thing is that at the moment, it feels like we are going in circles as far as discussion is concerned, because nothing seems to change from week to week, does it? It's almost frustrating. I mean, not just the fans, I believe, uh, both sides wouldn't be too happy. I'm not sure about the one person who is mainly responsible for stalling the negotiations, but I'm pretty sure everyone involved in this entire fiasco is really, really frustrated with the whole situation because it's been dragging on for so long and there is no solution so far. We haven't seen anything affirmative as such from both sides. So it really looks like it's going to drag along for even longer. And I really don't like it because we keep seeing all these deadlines, but they don't actually mean anything. So can we even speculate that a transfer might be in the cards before the window closes? Well, at this point, I, I genuinely don't know because before this, I thought more or less that things were progressing in a satisfactory manner and we would eventually get our guy for a decent, more than decent fee. But after the most recent fiasco that happened where on Friday we had a report that Bayern Munich, well, we had the report that Bayern Munich sent in their final or a new official bid. And well, basically what happened was that Daniel Levy, not only did he not respond to it, he literally left and went to Florida with his family, which, well, like, I get it. His family's on vacation there, etc., etc. But right now, in the middle of this, when your biggest player in your club's history is on his way out, like, really? I, I, It just makes me question whether this guy is even serious about this. Like, is this, is this how a big club, a supposed big club, should act? I honestly don't know why he did that. But to me, it seems... I don't know, more like a psychological power move or something like, oh, I really don't care about this offer so much that I even, you know, plan to take a vacation in the middle of negotiations because you're nowhere near the asking price or something like that, you know? Like, I just cannot bother negotiating with you. It it could be that. Maybe he's playing mind games. It's just there's so little known about the way he negotiates, the way he, you know, carries himself during these uh, meetings that, the media and pretty much everyone else just assumes everything they know about Daniel Levy in the sense that, you know, everything about him being a genius negotiator, a mastermind, or even, you know, very, very stubborn. All of that is just conjecture at this point. So it is frustrating and it is kind of unprofessional, at least from, you know, buy-in management's point of view. Like, how can you justify just leaving negotiations midway, you know, going vacationing in Miami, just, just stalling everything? At the same time, I think the man just wants to grind this till the very end. And he knows that the closer it gets to the deadline, the more desperate buy-in gets. So... Yeah, it's kind of sticky. I mean, what do you think of Bayern's situation? Like, do you think, because I believe we also need to keep our options open and uh, sort of check if other options like Vlahovic, for instance, or any other striker might be available so that we can hijack a potential move in the event that the Kane deal falls through. But uh, again, not very optimistic. Well, in my opinion, this is the time to walk away. It's It's done. We should not be entertaining any more of this absolute clown that is Daniel Levy. And honestly, I think, well, I, obviously I wanted Kane to come here, but I think it's gone on more than long enough. We face RB Leipzig in a week and it's time. It's time to move on either to other targets or just say to Tuchel, yeah, we're not getting a striker now and maybe come back for Kane in the winter or something because it's not happening at this point. It, it, like and I may be talking a bit, a, a little bit prematurely, but I'm just like, I, I don't, think that it's a good idea to drag this out any further to be perfectly honest with you like it does not make any sense to keep going back with more and more bids when we finally made it up to 100 million plus add-ons which is pretty much our limit i would have said we could go up could go up to 110 but after the most recent set of antics i generally don't think that levy is negotiating in good faith 
he's just here to waste our time and he knows that he can waste time because Tottenham, they are a small club. They don't compete for anything. They don't have anything at stake. So it doesn't matter to him <laughs> that he's completely screwing over his own club. Wow. Because all he cares about is a few nickels and dimes, which is extremely stupid. But who am I to criticize the workings of a lesser club? They care about their nickels yeah, and dimes. Well, what can I say about that? Yes. Yes. Well, uh, I mean... So firstly, I think uh, he he and also Bayern Munich know that uh, as it nears the deadline day, Bayern Munich needs some option because, I mean, do you think or would you rather uh, Bayern be comfortable going into the season without a proven world-class striker when there are some options available in the market or would you rather Bayern sign someone to fill that number nine role, uh, someone not named Niklas Fulkrug? You would want if it's someone not, signed, right? If it's not Niklas Fulkrug, then... I would be perfectly satisfied. But if it is Nicholas Hulk, yeah. nah, nah, then, then there's no problem. So, so Bayern time. need to sign a striker, but uh, I think uh, Levy knows that Bayern need a striker uh, for their setup to function to perfection. But also, I have the feeling, like you mentioned, Spurs, uh, for all the quality in their team or so-called quality in just a couple of players you can say in their attack, they are not a team with ambition that exceeds maybe getting into the top four in the Premier League. And they did not achieve that last season despite having Kane in the squad. So there's no saying that even with Kane, they'll make top four. Second, I see all these reports saying that, you know, maybe Levy thinks that keeping Kane might be worth a gamble because you get 60 million in revenue if you progress to the Champions League, right? And I think there is a point in that, but I just don't believe that simply having Kane in the squad means that Spurs are guaranteed a top four finish and a Champions League berth. And I also believe that Daniel Levy, like you mentioned, is uh, not as focused on Spurs' success as he is on, I don't know, just being stubborn and being... At this point, I would just say stupid because you're missing out on such a massive amount of money. You're going into next season, potentially giving up your striker for free to a direct Premier League rival. If that doesn't undermine your position, I don't know what will. And I don't have anything more that can explain this conundrum that's going on here. So if Levy manages to, you know, make the deal fall through and, you know, makes a botched mess of everything, so be it. I would say Bayern can save that 120 million or so, invest it on some other players that they, they might need. If the window closes, Tell is our striker. That's it. Well, I think that we still have a chance of getting Vlajevic if we move quickly. But otherwise, yeah, um, I think we should just give up, you know, um, maybe, uh, no, maybe the thing is... we could, we could still get him if we wait like two, three, four more days. But like any more than that, if we start the Super Cup without Harry Kane, then I don't think that he should, well, I don't think we're going to get him because that that's also what we were told that Kane would not move this summer if he were to start against, I think, who do they have? Against Brighton the in the, the Premier, Premier League, League, the Premier League, yes. which is yeah. next week for them. So, yeah, yeah um, if that happens, well, what can I say? Like, at that point, just give up. Just say, Kane, yeah, sorry, we tried. Goodbye, and we'll see you next time. So, yeah, move on to our next striker target because there's nothing else to do. Yeah, I just I just think that uh, Bayern probably won't be able to sign Vlahovic simply because Juventus are selling him to Chelsea for a deal that also gives them a replacement in Romelu Lukaku. If we keep delaying this pursuit of other options, then Juventus just won't have enough time to find a replacement striker. And the Chelsea package is so attractive to them because they get a nice chunk of change along with Lukaku. Now you might ask me, is there any point in signing Lukaku? I cannot answer to that, but I can just tell you that Juventus management is not the most stellar maybe not the most sensible bunch of people. So Lukaku might seem like a viable option to them, in all honesty. And him plus 50 million is what Chelsea is offering. So if we are not able to match a very high valuation and give Juventus time to get a replacement striker, he is not coming to Bayern. That's it. We're not getting well, another striker. Well, we do have a decent relationship with Juventus. So I think... There is, there is a small chance that we could get it done. But yeah, it's probably a bit too late to do that. And this is what Levy wanted, right? He wanted to drag this out so that there is no chance that we could really realistically pull out of the game at this stage. But I would say that even so, we should pull out simply for the principle 
of it because if we allow ourselves to be dragged into even more negotiations etc etc that just that just doesn't sit sit right with me you know what do you think is the chance that Bayern Munich signed Niklas Füllkrug on a scale of 1 to 10 about um an 8 yeah that's what concerns me honestly yeah. i feel like all these deals will yeah, fall through and we'll end up with Füllkrug yeah he's yeah. on his way isn't he i bet he's he's <laughs> sat next to the he sat next to the phone every day waiting for the call or at least his agent is because like it's almost it almost feels inevitable in a way that we're going to get and the crazy Krug thing and is then, yeah the crazy thing is because we delayed it so much i think Fulcrug would also only be coming for a premium like at least 35 million or something crazy like that which is just a stupid botched up waste of money and it just yeah. feels like this whole thing ended up as a sham and Bayern is just just worse honestly after all all is said and done Fulcrug is not it and we saw how much he can struggle if he doesn't have a tap in opportunity like he is not I mean, he has height, but that's about it. He's not very fast and not the most prolific of strikers. I don't know. And he also has very... injury issues. That's true as well. Yes. Yeah. So an eight out of 10, that's very damning, actually. Yeah. At that <laughs> wow. point, I just, I'd genuinely rather just have Matthew starting because Chupomoting, his knee is exactly. completely, yeah, his knee is completely gone. So uh, it's not even worth talking about him at the moment. Um, what and about other transfers? It, Shouldn't we talk about that? I mean, uh, we should. And because we have already started with an attacking uh, you know, transfer situation, I guess we can also move to the wing position where we have Sadio Mane, who has now left a vacant hole after you know joining Al Nasser from Bayern Munich for a fee of around 34 million, was it? The reported fee? 30, 30 million or something. 30 million euros, 30 34 million, million with add-ons. Uh, add-ons. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So what do you think? I mean, I think it's a good piece of business. We got some money. We managed to fool a club and convince them that Sadio Mane is the real deal. And although I feel like we could have milked at least 45 million somehow with better marketing strategies, I think it's a pretty nice deal for Bayern. And uh, given the PR situation and what has been said by his you know, PR manager in recent days, we just avoided uh, a major, major, major catastrophe, I would say. Did we avoid a major catastrophe? Because in the end, I I still feel that we technically lost money on this deal. And it's still his PR manager. Yes. His PR people are still causing us a lot of, uh, at least a mild annoyance, which like accusing Leroy Sané of racism is just so, so crass. That's crazy. And it's just, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just like at that point, I, I, I've seen the notion that maybe someone by Munich should sue him for defamation, which is m- maybe going a little bit too far, but still it is. And, and the problem is it like, didn't, it didn't end there. He said Leroy Zane, and then he spoke about the Bayern the management bosses, saying that yeah. maybe, yeah, exactly. Like they pay him money because they also think the same. That's, that's, that's insane. Yeah, exactly. Wow. It's just, it's just ridiculous, which is like, I, I'm glad Sadio Mane is gone and I'm going to remember him as possibly one of the worst Bayern Munich transfers ever, you know? I agree, actually. He's up there with Thiago Dantas. <laughs> is he? Thiago Dantas isn't up there with anyone because he's so short. I think Thiago Dantas is that player who nobody knew even signed for Bayern. Look, the like, thing is that Thiago Dantas wasn't... Even... Well, Thiago Dantas doesn't even crack the top 10 for me because he wasn't outright bad and he didn't, like... That's, he didn't cost us fair. anything, that's, and he never punched yeah. anyone in the face. He didn't cost us anything. That's true. That's true. And he didn't. Yeah. Never. He never punched anyone in the face either. So, um, I, this is yeah. This, all this, of this is a combined. Very, this is a very. This is a very low bar that we are talking about. But Sadio Mane somehow of fails to clear it. I think all of this combined could make him one of the worst transfers. And I agree. Like the whole incident with Zane, just something that could have been avoided. And 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 I love how the PR person paints him as this whole saint and tells everyone that he's the calm person and that Leroy Zane has a implies that has a whole history of such you know issues and has a condescending attitude blah 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 blah. it's just so unnecessary to come out and say all of this after the transfer went through but uh then again he's not a part of Bayern anymore so I don't think uh no anybody is going to read much into this because uh it's just a publicity stunt uh it's inconsequential um that being said uh I think Moving on to more important losses, yes. Jan Zoma. Yes, he's on his way oh, he, to Inter. Yeah. Or is it c- confirmed he, already. 
it is confirmed. It's a six million deal. He will complete his medical tomorrow, I believe. So, Just to be sure, we yeah, are recording so. this on a Sunday. Because mm -hmm. uh, the, the medical was scheduled for Tuesday, I believe. And mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a good deal for Inter Milan because he's a really, really good goalkeeper. A lot of experience. If they meet Bayern Munich in the Champions League, you know he's going to keep a clean sheet. And the fact that they got him for such a low fee is a great transfer for them. It's a pretty big loss for us, considering Manuel Neuer's situation is so unclear. Yeah, um, uh, so just to, to recap that? with what's going on with Manuel Neuer, he's still not on training on the pitch again. He had another setback, which was apparently a planned surgery to remove a screw from his foot. Now, just to remind people, Manuel Neuer has been playing with a metal plate in his foot for what what was it the last four or five years ever since he broke his metatarsal against real madrid in the i think it was the 16 17 season so yeah manonor has been doing that and this was a planned removal but it does mean that he is not going to be able to make the game against rb leipzig or even the bundesliga opener which means that with sven ulreich gone we are going to have to consider giving, sorry, not Sven Ulreich, with Jan Sommer gone, we are going to have to consider giving Sven Ulreich minutes in these games. And I don't have anything against Ulreich, but there is a reason that we got Jan Sommer in the first place. It's the reason is that if Neuer is out for any significant length of time, there is no way we are going to survive without a proper replacement. And at this moment, it seems that Bayern Munich are not looking for anything resembling of proper replacement. We are just, well, we're not doing anything. We just put all our eggs in the cane basket at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's also kind of, it's kind of tricky. And I think we're going down a very potentially damning path because Neuer's situation, uh, not, nobody knows what's going on. And it's very unclear when he's coming back. So Svenelreich could be... I mean, worst case scenario, he could be the goalkeeper for Bayern Munich for the entirety of the Hinrunde if things, you know, don't improve situation-wise for Neuer and for Bayern. And I think not signing a backup goalkeeper might sting because we are one goalkeeper injury away from playing either an outfield player there as a surprise player or making one of the academy players make the jump or bring uh, Tony Stark, uh, Tom Stark away for, uh, back from retirement or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Just doesn't uh, look all that all that nice to me. My question is that, like, do you think that if Manuel no like, based on all the signs that you've seen, what do you think of the situation with Manuel Noir? Do you think that it's going to be a short hiatus for him, or is he like just on the verge of a comeback, or do you feel that? it's really going to take a while because I'm, for whatever reason, I'm leaning towards the latter at the moment. Yeah, so there is no indication from his social media or from reports or from Bayern Munich's management, from, you know, the training staff, their social media accounts that he is nearing a comeback, that we are close to seeing him in Bundesliga fixtures. There is no mention of him even rehabilitating and, you know, making his way. He just says that it's uncertain or unclear or something. And 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 I think the last report, it mentioned that uh, Manuel Loy will return, but it didn't mention the specific timeline. So either the Bayern management knows something that we don't like. It could be an injury or, you know, a setback that they're trying to trying to hide, maybe because they want to set themselves in a better position to sign a goalkeeper from the transfer market. Or it could be that I don't know, Neuer himself has faced an injury or a setback during training and that the seriousness of it hasn't come to light yet. So I, I'm also afraid that I have uh, come to the same conclusion and it doesn't look good. In which case, uh, I'm, I believe you'll also be in agreement that we probably need to sign a goalkeeper as well before the window closes. Yeah, but who do we sign? Because as you might know, Arsenal are closing in on that guy, what's his name, David Rea. And Bono of, I think it's Sevilla, he seems to not be on the cards at the moment. What else? What other options do we even have? And I believe uh, we also wanted, uh, who is it? At the very beginning of the saga, we wanted uh, the Serbian goalkeeper. No, Barma, yeah, the Georgian goalkeeper. Mamardashvili, yes. Mamardashvili, yes. And we ended up uh, refuting the interest in Bayern Munich uh, withdrew from the chase. 
And then there was also the interest with David Raya, but then that again fell through. I'm actually not sure how many proper, you know, starting goalkeeper options there are available around Europe right now. And like, no, it just it just feels like Alexander Nubel maybe shouldn't have been loaned out to Stuttgart. It oh, feels like is, maybe it's kind of it's kind of strange to I'm, me that Bayern Munich loaned out Nubel and then still let Summer go. I understand that we had a gentleman's agreement with Summer to let Inter Milan have him. But the thing is that there was no reason yeah. for it to get to for it to take this long. We should have put that agreement with a clause that he can go as long as whatever club wants to sign him shows their interest by August, like before August. Because like at this stage, it's way too late to find a suitable replacement. And Inter had a lot of time to actually show that they wanted him because like I believe Andre Onana was purchased by Manchester United almost two, maybe three weeks ago. So why did it take them this long to really register their interest and then sign Jan Sommer from us? Like that just, it, it just doesn't make any sense I to me. Agree. And it's, and it's also doesn't make any sense why Bayern Munich allowed themselves to, well, allowed any of this to happen really. Like a lot of things in this transfer window don't really make sense to me in a way. Like for example, think- the fact that we are going all in on Kane feels like we're almost doing it as a detriment to all our other targets and other moves. I agree. It feels like the focus is less on the other positions, like you just mentioned. And the Kane thing has taken so much of the boss's time and energy that I believe, you know, the, the, the vision overall, I mean, I don't even know, like if they're focusing on any other players right now, probably invested all their efforts in uh, bringing Kane to Bayern and they're probably like, okay, with respect to the other positions, we'll see that later. But for now, we deal with Kane. Um, but with regards to goalkeepers, you know, potentially, you know, available, I think, I mean, David De Gea could be an option oh, in the event that we don't find anyone. I would rather, I would, I would fr- genuinely rather go with Sven Ulreich. I'm not even joking. He's a free agent. And I also think that it's better than having nobody and an academy talent show up, you know, for an important picture. I'm not sure it is. I don't, I don't rate wow. David De Gea at all. <laughs> I, like genuinely, no, I, kind I, of I think agree. he sucks. I agree. With I think he sucks. Thinking. I genuinely think he sucks. So I think that uh, I mean uh, he didn't he get the Golden Glove, the Premier League uh, most clean sheets last season or something like that. No, the goalkeeper of the season award. Definitely or was it the not. season before? It must have I been a while ago before. because David De Gea has not been good for years now. Yes, uh, you can. I mean, he still started. Yeah, but then you argue that Man United Man is not United. exactly the best. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But I think he is our best option because right now he's a free agent. And it does speak volumes when you say that the best available option is probably going to be worse than an academy academy player moving moving up the ranks to start for Bayern's first team. So we'll leave it at not that. Only, and I think... Uh, well, think, about, think about it. It's one more thing I should say, because not only would David De Gea be a bad player for us, he would also be expensive, like really expensive. That's true. That's true. That's true. I mean, what if... See, because obviously we don't know the, the timeline of Neuer's return, and it's also possible that the bosses sold... Jan Zomer and loaned out Nubel because they had a concrete idea of when he would return. It's quite possible that he's also back within the first three Bundesliga fixtures. But in the event that this drags on longer, right? If we sign David De Gea for a one or two season deal and obviously negotiate with him that he might be the goalkeeper who would stand in behind Ulreich or maybe be at par with Ulreich on the pecking order and negotiate a uh, a smaller contract, maybe a less expensive one, it wouldn't be that bad of an idea. Like, it's probably not the worst thing to happen as long as, you know, we have someone who can wear the gloves if Sven Reich is absent. Um, I'm going to withhold my judgment on that. I am really, how should I say it? I'm, uh, I don't like any Opposed, of this at yes. all. Yeah. You have strong feelings. Yes, against yeah. it. All right, all right. Let's just hope Manuel Neuer is back in time because otherwise our season is done for. I mean, yeah. imagine... Neuer out for the entire season. That's oh boy, I can I, I can imagine it because yeah. it's happened before. That's yeah, but before we signed Jan Zomer and no, no, we no. Before that, to at least eat remember out. remember uh, the season where Ancelotti got sacked. Yes, uh, Ulreich had a pretty good season. Yeah, he did. And have he a good saved season. us. He did save us. So many but this times time, I have so... a feeling that he is not gonna. It's not pull the same. That one yes. off. Yeah, yeah. 
I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, overall assessment, it doesn't look very good. Yeah, it's very, it's very gloomy it. today. I think. Yes. Yeah. I think we should move on to the friendly that Bayern's going to play against Monaco and maybe try and build up some optimism with regards to that fixture. Yeah, I think so too. So, in what is your assessment of Bayern's performance so far in the preseason? Preseason, right? So for me, it's. It's kind of a mixed bag, to be honest. Like, I'm not sure what to think. Because on the one hand, Tuchel has, in my opinion, shown some positives in the sense that he seems to have learned at least a few things over the course of the preseason. On the other hand, you have, well, the same old, same old, really. The fact that Bayern Munich is really not looking that great. Like, well... I'm going to talk about the most recent game against Liverpool first. The lineup was pretty decent, in my opinion. You had Matty Tell getting more chances, which is, what should I say, um, a pattern recently. It seems like Tupel has finally, I'm not going to say that he's seen the light, but at least he's acting rationally now. He's giving Tell the chances that he deserves and he should be getting. And I know that it is preseason, but still, like, it's pretty important to see someone like him get those chances and get some chances to prove himself. He's also been talking and he has been talking like he sees someone such as Jamal Muziala as a potential, how should I say it, winger, which in my opinion is a good sign. It means that he might, how should I say it, he might be moving towards a lineup, which is a 4-2-3-1 with Muller in the middle and Muziala on the wing. I think that's that can be described as nothing but a positive after what we saw last season. And finally, I think that, well, I think that he's been lining up the fullbacks properly. Like Davies has had his full faith. Kratzig, who has come through recently, he's deserved all the chances that he's gotten so far. And Matsraoui, I think that Matsraoui was actually quite mediocre in the preseason game so far. So it makes sense that he was dropped for Benjamin Pavard on the right. On the other hand, lots of negatives to talk about. First of all, chance creation. I know that we scored four goals against Liverpool, but they kind of led us to that. Most of the goals were balls over the top. It wasn't really done by some creative attacking plays, which kind of concerns me. We don't create too many chances from open play, in my opinion. Set pieces remain a huge issue. We're not good at scoring from them. We're not even good at defending in them. So what is Anthony Barry doing? And finally. My question is this, like at the moment, it feels like something is fundamentally missing from the Thomas Tuchel Bayern Munich. He's getting a lot of the basic stuff right. We seem to be doing decently in spells against Man City and Liverpool, but there is something preventing us from really having everything click. Now, whether or not that is the lack of a true experienced striker or the lack of Thomas Muller in the lineup, I don't know. But the signs aren't good for... The fact that we start our season in a week's time. I hope that we see more positives in the games against Monaco, which is coming up, and then RB Leipzig. Because at the moment, the Asia Tour has left me feeling confused and a little bit frightened. Yeah, so I think I, I have an opinion about what Tuchel is doing with this team and maybe what's going wrong. But again, I would like to see the team play a few games in the regular season to maybe have more backing to that theory. But right now, my feeling is that Tuchel's football is way more passive than we've seen with previous coaches, especially given Flick and Nagelsmann's football were super active and the players always had to be proactive and not react to situations, but be ahead of them. Try and start the, the press even before, you know, the opponent has uh, mustered up a few chances or, you know, managed to get the ball off the back. And make sure that, you know, the press is coordinated, that the players know where to go, maybe create space for their teammates. Like right now, it almost seemed like the players were trying to conserve energy and also a lot of passing around the back, maybe content with the opposition having the ball, you know, circling possession. Uh, we gave Liverpool too many chances. We let them cut through our defence multiple times. Maybe it's the team in uh, energy saver mode. Maybe it's the 
team not showing the tactics, you know, that Tuchel is maybe uh, instilling in the team because of the rapid changes, the mixing up of the squad, and maybe the different players that we're seeing, including a mix of youngsters and uh, veterans. But overall, I just can't help but wonder if Tuchel ball is way more passive, uh, less aggressive, and maybe less attacking than that of previous coaches, and if this is the best fit for Bayern. But well, I would need a little more time to, you know, test that theory. I think that it is a little bit more passive, but only in certain phases. In certain phases, you can see the makings of a team that more resembled something like Tuchel's Borussia Dortmund, which we remember was a very good side, which played active, forward-thinking, possession-based, pressing football. Right. So yes. in certain phases, you can see the bones of that in Bayern Munich. You can see the team trying to play that kind of football. But what's missing, in my opinion, is the organization that you would expect from a team of this level. And also, there is a certain degree of, like you said, what was it? That team looks passive, right? There is a little bit of intensity missing from the team that I can't exactly. really explain at the moment based on what I've seen so far. Like, there is no reason for intensity to be missing. I understand that it was really hot in Asia. So maybe we will see something better against Monaco on Monday, where perhaps the team will be much more accustomed to the weather. But on the other hand, our opponents did not seem to be as encumbered by those same factors as we did. And we did play two opponents that are known for their high press, high intensity, Liverpool and Man City. It just seems to me that the team is not exactly aware of what to do in certain situations, especially when the opponent overturns the ball and the team is pressing up high. If you recall the game against Liverpool, two of their major scoring chances, one of which they did score from, were created in that exact situation where Upamecano and I think it was Delict who started against Liverpool. Yes. They yep. were pressing up high, remember, and then the ball was overturned in midfield and there was no plan for what to do as that happened. I remember when Flick was in charge that there was a lot of furor about Hansi Flick's high line and the problems that it might cause. But in the end, Flick did manage um, to win a treble with yes. that high line. And the reason is that yeah. despite having a high line, Flick's football really did work to limit the number of chances that the opponent would get. Whereas this team... It doesn't really seem to have that same setup, if I am... Yes. Like, um, yeah. Just minor correction. I think it was uh, Kim Min-jae who started with Upamakano, not ah, the okay, And okay. I, think, I think he was criticized a bit for a defensive error during the game. And maybe the space that allowed, for example, Cody Gakpo to charge through the centre-backs and, you know, towards goal... Uh, scoring the first and also uh, I think the build up to the second goal as well but overall like you mentioned I think you have it uh, you're, you're on the right track in the sense that uh, Flick's press and uh, you know the intensity that the team exerted was also I mean you've also mentioned this during analyses is also a kind of defending in a way because yeah. you press so high and with so much intensity that you don't give the opposition a chance even if they have half possession, even if they have the ball, to you know build up anything. You're disrupting their build up constantly, and you're recovering the ball, recovering possession even before it reaches your own half. And I believe that with Nagelsmann's football, the team did a lot more smart pressing that was sustainable for a period of 90 minutes. And I really liked what we saw till you know the moment he got sacked, because obviously that one game against Leverkusen, uh, you have to give credit to Alonso. That team was fantastic. They did really well. But also, I don't think the bosses you know, liked what they saw, and they decided to replace him with Tuchel. And Tuchel ball, it might, like you said, show glimpses of Dortmund's football, and that the vision and the tactics he had during that 2000, I believe, 16, 17 season. Not sure if I recall exactly when when the, the, the their best season as uh, Bayern's competitors in recent times happened. 85 points, I, I, I suppose it was, right? We, we won the season by one point that season, if I remember correctly. No, we actually, um, they, they lost the last two games, which caused them to uh, be a decent bit behind us by the end but that's, ah, right. yes. that, that's yes. just after like the Bundesliga was decided like up to that point they were completely neck and neck 
And that yes, was with Pep yeah. Guardiola, so was... who was a genius in uh, league titles. So, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. 15-16 season, yes. He was he was really good. And if we can see anything like that, you know, heavy metal Dortmund attack and the wonderful play in possession, it's going to be nice. But then again, I see quite a lot of Tuchel's tactics during his time at Chelsea as well with Bayern yeah. Munich. And that is something that's concerning me slightly because, you know, even when, if you might have noticed, during possession, during phases when they have the ball, Bayern Munich are, you know, sort of circulating it more, you know, along the back and not trying to progress yes. it directly. The ball carrying is way less. Like, players don't run forward with the ball. They just pass around. And I think sometimes to create space for your teammates, you need to charge with the ball and then pass. If you remember Hansi Flick's triple winning season, Thiago used to do that so much. And, you know, he used to he used to charge with the ball, drag two players with him and then make a pass. Similarly, Goretzka did it at times when he was charging through the opposition defense. Do you... You had players... Yeah. Yes. Keep going. Yeah, the, the thing is that I was going to say, do you something? think that Baltukol, remember that he said something very interesting this week. He said that Bayern Munich does not have a proper number six who can protect the defense. And... The examples that you gave back then, we used to have a proper number six who could protect the defense so that there could be another player who could charge forward with the ball. So my question is this, is it a roster limitation that is causing Tuchel Ball to operate like this? Do you think that Bayern Munich should go out there and maybe get someone like Amrabat or maybe Edson Alvarez apparently is no longer in the running, so he he's not an option anymore. Do you think that Bayern Munich should go out there and try and snag another defensive midfielder and try and rectify this? Or do you think it's a purely tactical issue? Because we have seen Kimmich and Goretzka do well as a pivot together. So there is theoretically no reason that the team should be this passive with them or with Kimmich and Leimer in the middle. I'm not so sure. So I want to know what do you think about that? What do you think about the defensive midfield thing and its repercussions on the wider play of our team? Yeah, so I think there's two answers to this question. One, if it's going to benefit Tuchel's style of play and elevate his game. And two, if it really is a detriment to Bayern Munich, the club philosophy and whatever we've seen of their tactics so far. From a Bayern perspective, and I believe that, you know, the management is responsible for curating a squad and the coach has to make do with the players he has, considering, you know, they have enough quality to start for Bayern. And I would say Kemish and Goretzka for a midfield pivot, who is quality and class. So I don't think as far as quality is concerned, that's a problem. We have seen in the very same treble season I was talking about that Kemish and Goretzka can be a fantastic midfield pivot. And we've also seen them take on defensive duties when the other player moves forward. That is how yes. they play, right? They're balanced and they know each other telepathically. They can see where the other person is and they can make that pass. They know instinctively where to make the run and the other person goes back to cover for defense. That's what we've been seeing in both uh, Flick's time and Nagelsmann's time at Bayern for whenever Goretzka was not injured. But coming to this season, I think that uh, Tuchel wants an out-and-out -out, uh, defensive midfielder. And we've seen that he's had success with such players in the past, like Angola Conte at Chelsea, for example. In that season, the treble, in that Champions League winning season, Conte was injured for a long stretch during the Premier League campaign. But when he did return, it was in the Champions League, the latter stages, and he played really well. In fact, he was named man of the match uh, for, I think, two or three games during that run. And he got Ballon d'Or shouts because they won the Champions League, as crazy as that was. And the whole system, I think, functioned. Even even in his time at Dortmund, uh, I believe he had a defensive... I mean, even PSG, he had uh, Idrissa Gay, I believe, and uh, Marco Verratti as well, who yeah. plays as a six, pretty much. Can uh, do... Not a true six, but, tackles. Yeah. He, but he is, uh, I would say, a register type six. Yeah. Like kind a deep-lying playmaker, but... Not but he He's can also more like Kimmich, kinda. But but, if you uh, but, to I, but I would say better defensively, right? Well, it depends on which least. type of Kimmich you're talking about, because Kimmich is kind of a guy he can do everything, but he doesn't do everything, right? This is one of the things that uh, remember. Did you you saw that interview, right? Where uh, the I did. He said, yeah, I am." The he six. said, "I am yes. the six. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. media confronted him, yeah. and he said, "I am the six. Yes. So either a that. Kimmich and Tupol have very different ideas of how a sixth role should be interpreted, or B, Kimmich is deliberately ignoring what 
Tuchel is telling him. And either of them could be completely possible. But I just feel like Tuchel right or, now is asking for his Javi Martinez, you know? Do you think there's an option C where Tuchel what? just hasn't communicated properly to Kimmich that he wants him to play a more defensive role? How can how can that be possible? You just tell me that. Does that make any sense? Like, I mean, I guess it's a possibility, right? But doesn't make sense that these guys, they do hours and hours of training every single day. They literally have parts of the day and week devoted to video sessions where they talk tactics, they go through everything. Like, this is their job, right? So how is it possible that Tuchel hasn't gotten his message through to Kimmich yet? Like, okay, I understand when, I, at least at least I understand when Tuchel hasn't gotten his message through to Goretzka. That is more understandable to me because currently it seems like Tuchel wants Goretzka to play like a player that he's never been, which does not make any sense. But with Kimmich, it just doesn't make, like, it cannot be the case that Kimmich and Tuchel are misunderstanding each other because if that were the case, then like you have to wonder what the hell is Tuchel doing behind the scenes. That's not mind. what I implied. Yeah, no, what I was trying to say was we have seen Chemist defend really well and yeah. we have seen it in the Champions League of all stages. He yes. can be a really good defender, world-class actually. And I think that because Kimmich is one of the most senior players in the team and he is pretty much the engine that, you know, keeps the midfield and I, I would say the attack running because he is so integral to the team as a whole. And he is the player that, you know, Bayern is going to be built around for maybe the next five, six years if he stays at Bayern. Yeah. Maybe Tuchel is slightly unwilling to impose, you know, a specific role on the player and allows him to interpret the midfield role the way he sees fit. But it's possible that once the season begins, that may have changed and that Tuchel gives him a more defined role that he would then be happy to deliver in. Because sometimes a coach doesn't want to come in, you know, too harsh and change things completely, right? Under Nagelsmann, Kimmich was less of a defensive midfielder and more of a deep-lying playmaker. And that yielded quite a lot of good results to the attack. But again, it meant that Goretzka or Zabitzer had to take defensive duties. And when Zabitzer was playing for Bayern, he did excellently as a DM. But then well, not he in his first Manchester. season. Uh, I mean, the second season, obviously. Yeah. Because the first season, he did not start as a DM. He was a left back, and then he was a number eight, a number 10. It was kind of really sad because he was moved around in every other position, and he wasn't given a chance to prove himself in midfield. He played in left back for, like I think, an entire stretch of like two or three months, which was quite, quite sad. But the second season, he did really well, in my opinion, till the time at least in the chances he got till the time he was shipped to Manchester. And then we had to play with Goretzka. And Goretzka, well, he is an excellent player, but he did have a slump, so to say, uh, the second half of the season. So, well, only I after Tuchel came in, and Goretzka, right? Yes, yes, I agree. I think, and I think that that midfield looked like a Champions League winning one till Tuchel joined Bayern. Yes, because we remember Goretzka versus PSG. He was very good. And I, I I'm just I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. just confused by this. I'm I see all the vitriol aimed at Goretzka online and everywhere, and I'm just a little bit confused by it because it makes it seem like Goretzka has been bad for weeks and months and years. When realistically, he's only been poor for the last couple of weeks, and he was good before that. And he, in fact, won his spot from Savitzer quite fairly on the basis of merit, in my opinion. So it just it doesn't make any sense to me that right now Goretzka is possible potentially being pushed out. You have these rumors of him possibly considering a move to Man United if he doesn't get any prospective playing time this season, which doesn't make sense to me because it feels like Tuchel is going about everything completely backwards. Yeah, and I think that Tuchel is also being given uh, too much leeway with uh, regards to who makes the squad and who doesn't. And I don't think... So if, I mean, any manager in the world would love to have Kimish and Goretzka as a dual pivot. I'm pretty sure even Pep Guardiola would love to have, you know, the chance to play with this this duo because they're incredible. And we've seen just how potent they can be with so many managers in the past. They're a constant fixture in the team, right? So I see no reason why this shouldn't be the midfield solution. I feel like this is a problem of the court's creation. We yeah. probably do not need an out-and-out DM because these two make up for each other so well. And I don't know why Goretzka needs to leave the club because he still has a lot to offer and do we think we'll be able to get a really good true box-to-box -box player who is as physically gifted as Goretzka and also has you know the vision the physicality and the IQ to make those late runs into the box 
Well, I Who think would be a theoretical replacement. Theoretically, we're not replacing Goretzka with a new player. We're replacing Goretzka by moving Kimmich to well the number eight spot. And who takes the number six spot then? Whoever we buy, theoretically, as a number six. That well, that he better that has well not be the materialized, best right? Six possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right now, I see no reason. Long story short, I see no reason why these two shouldn't be the midfield for the entire season because they have what it takes. And we really do not need an out-and-out DM if the team can press. I worry that because Tuchel wants an out-and-out DM, it's maybe because he wants to not go with the high-press tactics and maybe wants to move to a more Chelsea-like approach. Well, the thing a is... a defensive midfielder like Angola Conte. Not, it would not necessarily mean that because we have seen Bayern Munich play with an out-and-out DM before. That was with Javi Martinez, remember. And we played very aggressively with Javi Martinez as a DM. He essentially enabled us to be more aggressive because we had the assurance that he was behind the defense and he could keep everything quiet back there. So maybe that is also what Tupo plans because so far he has shown, at least with his wing, the way he sets up his wingers and those attackers that he does want a certain degree of, what should I say, a certain degree of risky play from his fullbacks and his wingers, making sure they go up high and stick to the wings and do that kind of thing. There is a startling lack of creativity and dynamism, which I think is a different conversation altogether. But at the very least, the approach, in my opinion, does not seem to be overly defensive at the moment. Well, in that case, I mean, I see the point where playing a defensive midfielder would give the attackers, the midfielders, more leeway to progress forward and fashion more chances. Don't you also think that, I mean, right now, with Kimmich and Goretzka, if they do end up starting games, or if you have Kimmich paired with Konrad Lima, those two players would themselves fashion a lot of chances because of their creativity and IQ. If you're removing Goretzka from the equation agree. and replacing it with another player, you would also risk losing the dynamic that Kimmich and Goretzka have, the chemistry, the IQ, that is, the chances they create. I also agree. I also right? agree. That's why I'm not in favor of losing Goretzka, but it feels like Bayern Munich has done a calculation and decided maybe he's not, he, he shouldn't be kept around, which I, I don't know. I don't I don't know if I agree with it. Um, It's moving on from the DM debate. What about the back line? Do you, it's kind of interesting to me that Upamecano, I can't really tell what Tupo thinks about Upamecano. I have a feeling that he doesn't necessarily like Upamecano all that much. But against Liverpool, you saw that Upamecano was back in the starting eleven, And I have my theory is that currently, without a true DM, Tupo needs a guy like Upamecano who can really play out from the back and help his team sort of, I don't know, push forward. Because we saw against Kawasaki that without someone like Upamecano at the back for with Bayern Munich, the team looked extremely passive and was unable to build up properly from the back. Does this mean that Tuchel is going to give, like, is going to put that level of prejudice aside and decide to keep, I don't know, keep Upamecano in the rotation? Maybe uh, Upamecano's ball-playing abilities factor into the equation because we know from past seasons that he's a really good ball player and he's also very, very, very good at progressing the ball, making those runs into the into, into the opposition half. We have seen him drive so many times up into the opposition pitch and we also see him help with the build-up. So that could be a crucial decision-maker. Then again, we also need a space because he is pretty fast and he can recover quite well. But he is also prone to the occasional lapse in concentration that we've also seen in preseason in the game against the T again. Yeah. You know? But and in my opinion, we, it's no worse than yeah. what Jerome Boateng used to do. I agree. Yes. It's pretty much the same. I see so many parallels between the two players, except that Ubamakano is maybe a little faster, but I see so many Prime parallels. Boateng was pretty fast. And I also, Boateng was very good at ball progression as well. Yes. And he was very good at passes, long-range passes. So, yes, you might you may have something there. I think that Upamecano offers something that the other two centre-backs don't. And I really don't think Kim min is ready to start on a regular basis yeah. for Bayern right now. He seems to be a little... He, he seems to still need rusty. a little bit more. Yeah, he, he did seem rusty. But that's, kind of, that's that, perfectly uh, fine because we remember that Delict did from not... Italy, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah Delict yeah. didn't even start I mean, for us until September that, and then he became our best. Needs yeah, time yeah, to yeah. move so out of the system. He needs apparently. to get used to... 
needs to get used to the non-pasta uh, situation in Bavaria right now and maybe mm-hmm. move on to, you know, uh, train with the Bayern uh, trainers and, uh, and and experience whatever the nutritionists recommend for him and, you know, change his diet, change his perspective. And obviously the training regimen, as uh, Delict famously or rather infamously for Juventus fans mentioned in that interview uh, of being, you know, not so <laughs> intense. And he kind of openly criticized the training and said that Bayern's intensity is way higher. So that is understandable. I think that you need to do a lot more than just sit around and watch the ball move move around you if you're not in Italy. So he, he might take a little more time to adjust. Till then, I think Upamecano and Delict start and I'm completely fine with that. I think yeah, they're great too. together. Do we have anything else to add about the lineup or tactics? Maybe the fact that uh, Kyle Walker won't be joining Bayern most probably, which is nice. I'm not, uh, you know, in favor of Bayern spending much, upwards of to be honest, upwards of twenty million, you know, for a right back who's going to be a second choice depth option. And uh, Guardiola really wants to keep the player, so I mean, let him have Kyle Walker. It's okay. I think yeah. as far as the team is concerned right now. We have Josep Stanisic, who's doing a really good job in preseason. And I really yeah. like the player. And I think he could also be a starter for Bayern in the event that Mazraoui has injury problems because Stanisic silenced Mbappe like twice. Once in the Nations League and once for Bayern Munich in the Champions League against PSG. And that must say something, right? I mean, he single-handedly silenced one of the world's most potent wingers. Potent strikers, uh, it's a mix of mix of the two. I would say that we are well covered in defense, and we probably don't need another right back. Mm-hmm. Fair. I think I will agree with that. Okay, I think that is enough for today. We have covered a large number of topics, including well, the lineup, the potential. How should I say it? the lineup potential transfers? The hurricane transfer much, that might never happen. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. everything else. And, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's enough for today. As always. You can find us on Twitter at F- at Bavarian FP Works. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whichever one you want. And well, that's pretty much all we have to say for today. So this was I Need No Name and Schnitzel. Thank you for listening and good night. Vielen Dank und auf Wiedersehen.